0: Organize your own events. Nobody's doing that. Nobody is fucking doing that because it's hard and it, it takes an effort. But it's it's not as hard as it seems it is. It could be as simple as just a simple get together of like-minded people or people that you're after, people that are interesting to you. Just hmm. getting them together and focusing on the value add, the word gets spread out very quick. And positioning yourself as that thought leader as that master connector in that space, mm. That that's, that's going to put you three or four levels above everybody else who's trying to just continuously sell, sell something.
1: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Beyond the Job Title podcast. I'm your host, Cesar Romero, and remember, this is the podcast where we feature the relatable journeys of successful underrepresented professionals in tech with the goal of providing you with the inspiration, mentorship, resources, and strategies to advance your career. My guest for this episode is my good friend, John Garci. He's a former tech executive of Fortune 500 companies, zero entrepreneur, angel investor, And currently he's a co-founder and managing partner at Big Sky Capital. And in this episode, John and I sit down and talk about his career, what's like to grow up in Kazakhstan, in former Soviet Union, with scarcity and, and lack of resources and learning how to make something out of nothing. And it's one of the things I've always admired about John is his relentless drive to continuously get better, to take advantage of opportunities. But not only that, he's also very aware that it's important to bring others along with you for the ride i consider him a good friend very successful but most importantly someone that uh, is constantly raising the bar and in this conversation we talk about his journey into entrepreneurship fundraising venture capital how to build up your network and so much more and i'm excited to bring this to you guys and before we dive into the episode please I have two requests for you one make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes and that is one of the best ways to support the podcast and number two I welcome any feedback questions comments that's how we continue growing and improving this podcast so you, if you have a question if you have feedback whether it's good or bad or any comment please don't hesitate reaching out my DMs are open. Thank you so much for tuning in. And here's my conversation with John. One of the things I've learned so far is who do I want to serve? And I think I, I for sure, is underrepresented tech town, mm-hmm. which is why I think this interview, I wanted to focus on your journey, right? Being an underrepresented tech executive, founder, that journey of overcoming all of the obstacles and challenges, boss syndrome the the times along, especially when you're from underrepresented, mm-hmm. how to build your network because you're the master of that. And just knowing you personally and seeing you work, one of the things that you put an emphasis on is building that network, right? And coming from a place of how can I serve you?
0: And it it's hard as fuck because even now I'm like, you don't see results for like a very long fucking time. And. Especially VC, bro, anyone who is, you know, has these misconceptions that venture capital is all just a bunch of fucking rich people running around, writing checks, swimming in gold. That's a fucking wrong represent, you know, visualization of venture capital. It's actually, you don't make any money in venture capital. You will eventually, but such a long play. It's a minimum of 10 years because just do your math, $20 million fund. And our only income from that is a 2% management fee, you know, so you calculate that and you bake into account all of the back office fees, the the taxes and everything, there's nothing left. So you barely, you barely can cover some of your travel expenses and that's it. So that's going to be the grind. That's going to be the case for the next five years, but that's what you sign up for because you know, at the end of the day, you're building something of your own. You're building something for yourself. You're building something potentially, hopefully for, for my kids. That's the vision that I have, even though sometimes, man, you feel like the back is against the wall and you're like, shit, this is fucking hard because it's, you know, there's no instant gratification. So that's just two cents, 10,000 foot view into
1: reality of venture capital. So why venture capital? Why now? Why star, big sky capital now? And what was your motivation to, to get this going?
0: That's a good question, especially the why now piece. As we, Adil and I, we talk about this a lot, even before we got this started. Again, you know, the main driver behind this is the building something sustainable, building something generational. And then also when we were fundraising for our startups, he and I had multiple ventures, like a ton of successful failures. We do have two exits, but overall everything else bombed and flopped and, you know, but great learning experience. And through the fundraising process, we always you know, encountered our great share of incompetency as well, or maybe mismatch. And we always, made, you know, took mental notes as well. And if we were ever to do this ourselves, we would do this completely different. And as far as kind of being able to connect with other kind of underrepresented, uh, diverse group of founders, it resonates with them because where we come from, we don't come from money. We don't come from any any access to capital whatsoever. And how we went about that, how we essentially used those lessons learned. To us, that was also a motivator to be kind of on the other side of the equation so that our focus is really on how we can actually help the founders in what way, what capacity. And if we can, then yeah, let's move forward. Let's try Let's write a check because check is secondary. Everything else Mm -hmm. comes along with that. So we saw opportunity there. We saw opportunity in the different markets that we could cater on because we cover Southeast Asia, Central Asia, a lot of emerging markets. So there's a great deal of opportunity for companies that are building very unique solutions. And some of them actually looking to bring that, bring those here to U.S. or any other major market. And that's how we wanted to structure the fund as well, because we have a great diverse group of LPs, our investors who backed us, backed our vision, believed in us, and also believed in the strategy that at the end of the day, actively involving the LP community In helping portfolio companies, that's very unique. That's a unique advantage. That's unfair advantage. And I see that working already because we're able to bring some of our LPs into very active conversations, not only through the due diligence process, but also when we deploy, when we invest and they actually work very actively with those startups. So that's exciting. And just overall being able, you know. Help the founders beyond just the financial means. That's, that's a huge piece and also not having to answer to anybody. That's a big motivator for me always. You've known me for many years and you know, I've had my great share of very competent leaders, which I'm very thankful for because there's a lot that I learned from those experiences, thinking that this is completely something that I wouldn't want to be as a leader. This Mm -hmm. is the opposite. So I'm like, I'm actually glad a lot of that happened because if we didn't, then I probably would not have that view into what kind of shaping my own strategy as a leader, what I wanted to do and things like that. Everyone I talk to, it's, everyone thinks it's crazy. It's very, it's a high risk. It's a high risk category. It's extremely risky. You know, if you look at portfolio of very successful investors, it's mostly predominant by very specific categories like real estate, public markets and those things. But venture capital usually represents anywhere between, you know, five and seven percent of the total pie chart for a reason. Because it's extreme high risk. It's a lot of work. But there's no instant gratification whatsoever. Because you spend a great deal of time hunting these deals, finding those unique founders, and then you have to spend another great deal of time investing into that relationship and actually help them grow. So that's that goes along the way with some of the Feedback that we've been getting, man, are you guys crazy? What are you doing? Why not just put that money into something a lot more predictable? So Adil and I, we worked on that a lot. We worked a lot on identity, you know, defining our thesis what we think would be an unfair advantage, mm-hmm. and how we can actually execute on that. And then the fundraising process alone, we can talk about that as well. That was that was a great, you know, learning experience as well because at the end of the day, it's you know, it's almost identical to if you were to fundraise for your own startup.
1: Yeah, one, one of the questions I have for you is when you guys were fundraising, you mentioned that there were some mismatches and I guess mistakes made on the way. And I was curious, what were some of those mismatches that you encountered along
0: the way and what advice would you have for those founders that might be looking to fundraise? I actually talk about this a lot on my own channels to other entrepreneurs. I'm very vocal about this in terms of pre-qualifying as much as possible your investor. it's very difficult to do. It takes a lot of discipline to be able to say, this investor does not fit our vision or our process or our just culture or anything that matters. But it's very important because in the long run, it can be detrimental to the success of your company. So pre-qualifying is a huge piece. During our fundraising process, we were just taking meetings left and right with anybody who actually seemed like they had money technology executives, C-levels, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, all of that. I have a great you know, great network of those types of execs. But what we haven't encountered through those conversations is that venture capital is not omnipresent as it is in terms of the uh, common asset class when it comes to investing. And not a lot of people actually know about this, what it's all about and how you make money in that for valid reasons, right? This is you know, not your priorities, not something you have, you have to intentionally seek that out. And just as an example is, you know, you've been a CTO and, you know, a very large corporation. Probably that's not at the top of your mind. And when we started those conversations, we quickly realized that, oh, okay, this is not so common. We made a lot of assumptions going into those conversations. And we had to go back to the drawing board and pivot our own fundraising strategy when it comes to understanding who we're pitching to, pre-qualifying as much as possible, as as hard as it is. Because you have to ask some very specific questions. And sometimes people are like, why the hell are you even asking me this? And we, you know, we disqualified a lot through through that process.
1: What were some of the questions that that you would ask? Like,
0: what are some specific questions that a founder could ask to mitigate that risk? For a founder to pre-qualify a particular VC, there's a lot of tools. Number one, there's a lot of public information that's available about a fund not only from their own posts as far as w- what do they talk about, what do they invest in, who do they invest in, what's their strategy. That's common sense. You have to do that. You have to focus on that. But also there's a ton of research tools and Crunchbase, PitchBook, and all of that to be able to get an idea of what types of companies they've backed before and do a lot of research on that. Then do a lot of research also on, on reaching out to those founders who got backed by those funds and see what the relationship is like now. What would they say about that particular founder? because founder community is very small and very vocal, vocal right. when it comes to those things. If there's one negative experience, trust me, people will know people will find out, especially in those communities. So spending a good deal of time doing that research reference checks that will tell you a lot. And then there's a ton of information available you know out there on on the web. and even you know I talk about this on my channel too when it comes to understanding the economics of a particular fund, Where you actually can easily calculate when was the fund deployed? When did they start? What's the size of the fund? What is their initial check size? You can easily calculate that Hmm. and figure out from there how much of that fund, total fund that they have already deployed and how much is left potentially in the fund. So a lot of those things that it will tell you the capacity and capability of a particular VC to actually be able to invest in you. And then from there on out, you would be already in a much, much greater position not to waste anybody's time to get in front of them and just showcase all of your expertise and knowledge that you've done that homework.
1: I love that. Now, John, I want to put a pin on here again. I want to take a trip back in time to your time in in Kazakhstan, because as an underrepresented founder and tech executive, you've done it all, man. At least in in my perspective, you know, from being an executive to to 400 companies, to being a um, founder, investor, having successful at exit, fails some startups as well, you are part of the hardware alumni network you you host your own podcast, and now you have a uh, big big stack capital right But before all of that, is there a particular moment that comes to mind while you were in Kazakhstan that influence the way you carry yourself the you know your your drive your ambition uh your emphasis on on building that network is there like a pivotal moment is there a, a particular moment that the comes to mind while you were growing up in, in Kazakhstan I appreciate the kind
0: kind of words but just it, it, at the end of the day there hasn't been a particular moment specifically it's it's more of a series of events and just essentially the you know the experience of growing up in complete scarcity of just overall resources, anything from food to basic things. And because growing up in the '80s and '90s in in Kazakhstan in the post Soviet era, when Soviet Union collapsed and every country became independent and pretty much it was just all up for grabs, I think that that really was kind of the root of that entrepreneurial DNA also because being able to come up with creative solutions when you don't have any means, don't have any resources. I think that definitely helped shape up a lot from that hustle, that drive, that, you know, also creative thinking, just extreme creative thinking, not taking the foreign answer and just being able to figure, figure shit out where you feel like there's no potential solution. I think that helped a lot from just shaping up that, that entrepreneurial drive on a constant basis, even these days, I'm extremely very cognizant of the fact of how much of that drive I have in me. Mm-hmm. And I have to instead focus, you know, really work on that discipline so that I don't go off and run and start, you know, launch another five companies in, you know, <laughs> simultaneously. I remember when you came to us and you shared with me a story of
1: uh, a particular day, you, I think your sister wasn't okay. dying uh, for, I guess, to, to get bread. Uh, and you guys had to basically stand there for hours just to get like a ration of of food so you guys could eat. Um, And yeah, that's hard, you know, to go through that. But it makes you appreciate things, right? Those hardships are actually, in a way, good for you because they give you perspective. And I think uh, for me, the challenge is when you become a parent, right, how do you teach that to your kids in a way that it's not... You know, the same hardship, Robert, but they have appreciation of, oh, you know, like you got to do hard shit, basically.
0: Yeah, that's, that's hard because it's how do you instill that hunger, that drive when you got everything? It's, you know, if you figured that out, let me know. be <laughs> yeah, well.
1: Now you moved to the U.S. when you were, I believe, 16, right? And then you went to the University of Montana, you worked your ass out there and out oh, at what point did you get embraced into the tech? Was there a particular uh, person that you met or a particular moment that, that gave you that opportunity? And what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome, especially as an
0: underrepresented tech talent? So I've, I've told that particular story several times. So I think people know about Dusty Lashbrook, that's the guy I met on the airplane when I was flying to see my sister in New York, which is, yes, indeed, very, he has helped me a lot just getting (laughs) that that initial opportunity. But also when, during my, actually my first job out of college, you know, professional job out of college was ABN Ambro Bank. (laughs) At the time was one of the largest lenders in the nation. So for me to get a job out of college from there, that was a huge win. And during that time in there, I actually met an executive there, he was a big shot. He was a CEO at a time over there, Steve Demarest, and we've, so I was the lowest, probably ranking, not the lowest, but I was, you know, probably somewhere at the bottom was just starting out and he was almost all the way at the top and still somehow just him just talking to me like a, like an equal that, that, that impressed me about just him as a person, as a leader. We stayed in touch. We stayed connected all throughout the years since 2003, around that time, and, and still to this day, very close friends. He, you know, invested into one of my companies eventually, and then also we've collaborated on so many different companies, engagements, and so that was a great experience as far as getting introduced to that world of investing, to that world of tech.
1: Yeah, was there a particular way that, that you carried yourself that made Steve say, you know, oh, this guy, you know, there's there's potential in this kid?
0: That's hard to tell. I think about this all the time as well. Even through that first encounter on the airplane with Dusty Lesberg, I was just, I was a junior in college. I was, I was 18 years old. Wow. I can't even remember what we talked about. But somehow, whatever I said, it just resonated and we, he helped out big time. He was the launching pad. And then same thing with Steve as It's I have no idea even like what we've talked about. Maybe just some type of a drive that they saw in me that this guy won't stop. This guy won't take no for an answer. It's just nonstop hustle. Maybe that's what it was. So I think that's that.
1: I can see that. Is it you talking about being persistent, being resilient, turning no's into a yes. Is there a particular experience where you turn a no into a yes that that comes to mind that you are like, Yes. yes. Right. We got this big win after, I don't know, how many emails and phone calls
0: and meetings. <laughs> I can tend to be almost overly persuasive at times. Yeah. I worked on that a lot. I still work on that a lot. Number one, I can be overly persuasive with myself mm-hmm. where I convince myself of something. And then when I do that, it then trickles down. It just becomes this fast-moving train that I just, it, it becomes a force in itself. I'm not bragging about this by no means, so I, I hope that doesn't come across that way that, oh my God, he's this guy who can convince anybody. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about that being a major disadvantage because that got me in trouble many times where I would just quickly just jump to conclusions, jump to assumptions, convince myself of something, and then just go very aggressive about convincing everybody else around me, persuading people into something. Without taking into account certain consequences, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes, you know, why, you know, think twice about a consequence, just do it. Just yeah, you just do it and figure out on, on the way, which to this day, still, I, I believe in that, but taking more careful approach into just analyzing and taking a step back. For me, it's an ongoing challenge. It's an ongoing opportunity to get better at. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a saying no these days or turning a yes into a no. I would consider that being more of a win in the the current, current stage of my career or where I'm at. Yeah. Very easy for me to say yes. It's very easy for me to convince somebody into, you know, what kind of, especially something that I believe in very strong. Yeah. Um, But going from the completely different angle and, you know, taking that yes and turning into a no, at least for me, I would consider that, that as a win. Yeah. Turning my, yes into a no. Yeah. No, that's actually hard
1: to do, man. Especially in this day and age where there's like this shiny object syndrome and we're so distracted with the new thing that pops up. And and staying committed to something, that's probably one of the hardest things to do. Definitely trading into how uh yeah, I need to practice more of that myself. Yeah. Now you're big in building your network. Any advice for an underrepresented founder or tech talent on how to go
0: about doing this in twenty twenty three? Are you know, that, that's the million dollar question as well. I can only share from a standpoint of what actually worked well for me or what didn't mm-hmm. the learn from that. I mean, we talk about the podcasting all the time and it's such a great tool just to blow up your network, get access to people you normally wouldn't get access to. Yeah. So I, I've, I always pitch that. I, I always preach that almost. So that's a no brainer. That's common sense. The other side of the spectrum is I've heard a lot that that expression that just showing up is what actually matters the most, which I didn't quite understand that by the beginning, when I first started hearing those, that type of expression. But at the end of the day, it's definitely powerful because it takes a conscious effort and intent and planning and investing for you to show up. And that, that not only means to physically show up at, at the event or at a meeting or <laughs> at uh, whatever the case, which is still, which is very important. Yeah. But also just be being very present and intentional about your presence in that particular moment or in that particular situation. So for example, a way to build a community or blow up your network is go to these events as well, but then also being very intentional about why you're there and what type of value you bring to others in that community. If you approach it from that standpoint, for me, that's what really helps. Instead of walking around, just saying, hey, this is what I do. This is my business card. Let me sell you something. And then just run off and try to we'll hope somebody will, help, will call you. That never works. That never will work. That never worked for anybody. Instead, focusing on who's going to be there and what value do I bring to others? Especially if you go into these networking events so who and who I can introduce those people to. Or who, what type of, you know, just overall value I can bring. If you focus on that, that that puts you in such a huge advantage over everybody else that's there because everybody else is just trying to sell something, including selling themselves. So that really helps from a community building standpoint and just create, creating those meaningful relationships with those. And then the second thing is also organize your own events. Nobody's doing that. Nobody is fucking doing that because it's hard and it, it takes an effort, but it's it's not as hard as it seems it is. It could be as simple as just a simple get together of like-minded people or people that you're after, people that are interesting to you. Just mm-hmm. getting them together and again, focusing on the value add, the word gets spread out very quick. That I'll tell you for sure. And positioning yourself as that thought leader, as that master connector in that space, mm-hmm. that that is going to put you three, three or four levels above everybody else who's trying to just continuously sell something. So. Those are just some of the most immediate actions, some of the steps that actually help me from a standpoint. of yeah. to just Organize events on all all the time. Besides the podcasting, we organize in person meetups these days. Yeah. At least once a month, and I love those events. I mean, right now we just nonstop up expense only. We don't make any money of that, <laughs> but I know it's an investment. I know I got I have that long term vision, and sometimes it's hard to goddamn just blowing so much money on that organizing and all this stuff. But then. I, I can see the value it brings to others. I can see their feedback after those meetings. And I know the community is growing. I know that with every event, that the community is only going to grow. Yeah. And dude, and I'm not even
1: there with you, but just seeing what you're doing, getting the updates through social media, I can feel the effect of the connections and, and the networking. Um, and you're right. We don't think about hosting our events. You know, we're always thinking about going to events, but... I think there's power in posting, whether your own podcast or your own event, because that puts you at the center of this network where people associate you with, you know, what whatever theme is relevant about, right? Tech,
0: product, leadership. You're the kingmaker. You're you decide. Yeah, you decide who gets invited. You decide who you're after. It's all you.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, there's value there. I think it doesn't even have to be big right it could be like a dinner and like you have 10 people come to your house right of course you know intentional targeted right but i think there's value there especially after the pandemic after covid i think more people want to do person connection so you're definitely onto something there but the rhetoric is not immediate right like you gotta stay consistent which is i think that's the hard part that's hard (laughs) exactly and the not spending, but the investing, right? Like the financial investment that, that causes them to worry. Now, many underrepresented founders and tech talent, right? One of the biggest, I guess, struggles is imposter syndrome, right? Feeling like we're not good enough uh, because we don't come from money or we don't have the, the right connections or the skill sets. And I'm wondering what strategies or what advice would you have for those people that my struggle with this and it actually affects them when it comes to either pitching or going to a networking event, but they feel like they're not, I have nothing of to add. They feel this inferior almost to, to, to other people because that does to help a lot, especially if you come from an underrepresented background, you feel like you have something to prove almost.
0: Yeah, and I, I still deal with that as well in a different capacity, but especially when you first starting out and it's a completely different culture completely different mm-hmm. community of course you're going to compare yourself and be like oh shit man everyone's everyone looks like they got their stuff figured out yeah um, but in reality they don't i'll <laughs> tell you that for sure nobody has their shit figured out nobody i can guarantee you that yeah. <laughs> Just try to keep that mentality on as well That even though maybe there's a language barrier or maybe there's a cultural difference and so maybe Whatever the case is, maybe you feel like your education level is not <laughs> up to that par, just the way people look. That's hard, you know, not to compare yourself from that standpoint, but that comes also with experience. The more you go through that, the more you go through these motions, that's the muscle that you have to continue developing. And then just also really understanding kind of your strengths and weaknesses. What is something that you're really good at that nobody else has? And, you know, just me also utilizing that background, that experience that, look, I'm not from this culture. I'm not from this environment. I recognize that maybe that's a disadvantage and just being super humble about it and just coming across as just very inquisitive from that standpoint. Because people love talking about themselves. People love talking about how great they are and just giving them that avenue to rest that and instead just showcase that you're genuinely interested in that. I think that's, what's going to be a memorable experience for others working with you or interacting with you. So when it comes from just being just that diverse founder or just from different culture, I know how it is. I know that it's, you know, it's not easy, but at the same time, maybe try to use that story as your advantage. Mm. This is where I'm come from. This is how we do things. This is what I'm all about. And sharing that, not being afraid to share that, that could definitely help a lot. Just always thinking, you know, remembering that nobody else has their stuff figured out. Nobody else. I I like that. Turn your background into an advantage,
1: right? Flip it so that it comes across as an advantage and always coming from a place of serving and, and being curious about other people. Yeah. Um, love that. Uh, two two more yeah. things, Rachel. I'm curious about leadership and you started off as an integrated contributor, then you moved, you moved on into leadership roles and other companies and eventually becoming a founder yourself. What were some of the trade-offs that you had to make going from an integrated contributor to being in a leadership position? Was that a, a seamless transition for you? Did you, do you enjoy being in a leadership position? And I'm asking this question, right? Because a lot of times people think that the natural progression is going from being an individual contributor to you know a manager a VP. But some people are not cut out to be leaders, right? And, and, and that's okay. And I'm curious about, you know, if you along that way you you realize um, that hey, you know, literature is actually a better fit for me instead of being an individual contributor.
0: I wasn't intentionally seeking that out. It's just something that naturally happened because as I started building companies, as I started hiring people, as I started building my network, that responsibility just naturally occurred because you start attracting more people that believe in your vision, believe in you. So kind of just evolving from an individual contributor to a leader, I think that's a natural progression that was for me. And I would imagine that's for everybody else. Whether you're good at that or not, that's a completely different story. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was also, like I mentioned earlier, the experiences that I've had with a lot of incompetency, that was great. That was a great learning experience. I'm very thankful for that because that really actually opened up my eyes a lot. You know, just what doesn't work or what's ineffective. Mm -hmm. And then really focusing on understanding what are your weaknesses as a leader. Part of the reason why I actually, you know, pursued the HBS so late in my career mm-hmm. uh, because specifically for that, because I was getting very complacent. I was just getting very comfortable with where I was as a person, as a career in general. And for me, complacency is, is one of the biggest fears almost. And that that's what I realized. I was like, look, I got to level up. I got to figure out what are people three levels above me? What are and they all about? What do they do? How do they operate? How do they talk? How do we, you know, who are they essentially? And that was just one of the motivators to go after that particular engagement. And that's for just from the leadership standpoint. Is I spend a great deal of time interviewing a lot of leaders on my podcast, mm-hmm. and that's the exact reason why I do this because I want to learn from them and I don't want to understand how they approach that. And there's there's no right answer for a particular right or wrong answer for a particular given situation. But it's one thing that I would call out is that. It's an evolving process. It's something that you have to continuously work on. It's something that it's not that you say, okay, now I'm a great leader and I'm just gonna go and dominate. No way. So that's it's just something that I, I have to constantly remind of myself as I continue to to evolve. I love that. You know,
1: I always something they mentioned about complacency. You know, it's something that I started to notice recently, and I was like, huh, this is interesting, and the just hang out with you in you know, Austin kind of made me realize that, man, you know, I think I've been complacent and I think I've got to sh- shape things up a little bit, right? So it kind of motivated me and started to just be like, dude, like, le- level up, you know, re- like stretch for for the impossible right? or for the hard things, right? Because that's where the that's what makes life meaningful, right? Like constantly growing, constantly stretching. So it, it's, I was re- reflecting back on that time it was just like, just seeing you work. I know we joke about winning and feeling all that, out, but it's it's actually very inspiring to be around people that are two levels ahead of you. Where you feel like you can barely keep up. So yeah, you know, it, that You know, I was just
0: recently talking to another friend of mine about this particular thing, because we've talked about keeping the old friends that are not evolving, that are not getting... Mm. Right. And how do you actually cut those ties, and how challenging that is? Because at the end of the day, that's that's what also could okay. drag us yeah. down as well. But it's it, a it's a hard conversation, too. Very hard. But it doesn't need to be a conversation. It's, you can actually, <laughs> actually you know, you know, yeah. uh, you know, moving away. But it's an important thing to do because that's I always evaluate my circle. I always evaluate my connections, and it's it doesn't necessarily always have to be everyone who is above you. So then you strive, them, mm-hmm. but it's also, it just got to be that type of circle, at least for me, people that are constantly improving, people that are constantly getting better. Mm-hmm. Seeing that motivates me and that's what keeps things going. Good. That's good to know.
1: It's good to know. You know, constantly trying to push myself, you know, to be better, to continue growing. I just see you what you're doing, right? Just very inspirational. One question I have here, and then I want to wrap it up with a rapid fire closer round. In terms of the emerging trends in tech and in SaaS, what do you think is something that is being overlooked that people are not paying attention to that, that it should be?
0: AI is the buzzword, right? Everyone's just thinking about this. Everyone is just very obsessed about it for valid reasons. But at the end of the day, AI is all about compute. And if you're not able, you know, and what can't you do without when it comes to computing is data data is always also has been out there, but now it elevates the importance of data when it comes to AI. So I see a lot of opportunity there from teams that are actually focusing on that aspect of the equation versus kind of just building out the algorithms that actually can process the data in different way. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of opportunity there. I see a lot of unique challenges that could be solved from the solutions that actually some, some teams actually building that. So I'm paying very close attention to that. And then the other element is not specific to a certain sector, but it's again, the emerging founders very diverse mm-hmm. groups of founders and in emerging markets, I see a lot of opportunity there because it feels the markets are getting saturated on the, you know, on, on the grand scheme of things, but there's still a lot of opportunity on much smaller, much smaller markets that are, you know, moving the needle from that standpoint. Of that, that Jan. And
1: I'm gonna at least someone pay attention to that. Awesome. I want to wrap it out with a rubber fire closer no I'll basically I'll give you a question and you just give me your top of mind answer. Ready? All right. All right. One book
0: that has greatly influenced your life for your career. One of the more recent ones, and it's it's an older book, The Hard Thing About the Hard Things. I've gifted mm-hmm. them to many people around me. That's I a think- good one. So we see their journey, see how they've, you know, encountered situations of complete total failure, yet they still managed to figure out and come out of that. I, I still find a lot of loving stories out of that.
1: That's a great book. Awesome. Next, next question. Any recent investment that you've made that has paid up, you know, and this could be financial, it could be a relationship, or it
0: could be a thing that you purchased for yourself. It's an ongoing investment into myself. I know how sometimes it's hard to recognize that, but that's the type of investment that always pays off no matter what, no matter what, whether that's, you know, the classes I take or whether that's a new project that I undertake on to get myself better at or investing into new relationships that will allow me to level up. That's for sure something that will continuously always pay off. And is I will always prioritize that.
1: that. Yeah. Investing, investing in yourself, right? That's the best thing that you can do often. Next
0: question here, any habit that you are Uh, Patience. It's something that I lack. I recognize that as I I need to work on that. And also the need to always feel productive or busy. Mm -hmm. That's, I have that in me. I'm sure a lot of other people do, but also just actually try to flip the script and focus more on moments where I don't feel productive. And try to kind of live in that moment and understand that, why am I feeling that way? I actually found that a lot of my great ideas came out of those moments where you actually focused on, look, I don't necessarily have to be in front of my computer, cracking out emails like Maniac or sending out text messages and voice notes like I don't, WhatsApp. <laughs> so it's it's actually quite opposite. Just working on that aspect, I think that was that's something that I focus on. Uh, last question here
1: is... And I think I might know the answer to this, but I'll ask you anyways. Do you have a a quote or a mantra that you think of offering?
0: There's a famous quote about the harder I work, the luckier I get and all that. But my version of that is don't just believe in luck, but create it yourself. And I just type of personality I am that I I would never leave something in, you know, in the hands of a fate and say, oh, things will work out for Mm -hmm. me. That's something that I, I find hard time recognizing that.
1: I love that. And you are a representation of that, my friend, you know, with everything you have accomplished, the podcast, what you're doing with Big Sky, uh, so you're, you're definitely creating your own. Uh, and thank you so much for, for coming on the show, doing this experiment with, with me. I'm serving underrepresented founders and tech talent, I think okay. it's, you know, great advice here and yeah, you know, looking forward to it and if someone were to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
0: Uh, well. BigSkyCapital.co is our site. There's my contact information there on Instagram. It's investwithjohn. That's the handle that I am very active on. So on IG or any other social network, I'm sure there is a way to connect with me on that. So thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you hosting me.
1: All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you, and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you, and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.